We are coming to the end of our look into the letter of the, the first letter that Peter wrote to the struggling first century Christians that first Peter is addressed to. Have you been enjoying first Peter? Oh my goodness, it has been so relevant. It is literally, you would swear Peter wrote this um, to us right now in our world, especially written to us as our culture continues to change and, and, and Christians seem to be more and more out of step with the world around us that we feel like the title has been, uh, the, the, the title of the whole sermon series, We Don't Fit. We've been just looking at that. That's that's how we feel in our culture. And we're finding out as we're going through this, first of all, that's always been the case for Christians, but that um, it's a good thing we don't fit. I don't want to fit with the world that's going in the wrong direction. Do you? No, I don't fit. I want to fit in God's way, in God's kingdom. So today, what we're going to come to, we come to what is basically a short summary of some of the things that Peter has been writing about in the entire letter. What he's beginning to do is he's beginning to wrap up his thoughts in this letter. So today, in a few minutes, we're going to start kind of section by section going through 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, and I'll, I'll get to, to that in a little while, but 1 Peter 4, now you can open that to that now, 9 to 12, and that's what we're going to be, or 12 to 19 rather, I'm sorry, 12 to 19, that's what we're going to be looking at kind of chunk by chunk today, and in this summary that this, this couple verses are. We find the framework for what I believe he's trying to accomplish is to give, give Christians in a, in a world gone mad a Christian worldview. Not, a, not a, necessarily a theological worldview about what Christianity is, but a, the, a worldview for Christians on how do we navigate and live in a world that sometimes seems crazy. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out five principles from this summary that we can use, you and I can use as guidelines for ourselves as we navigate life. So you want that? You want five guidelines on how you can navigate this sometimes crazy seeming world? Okay, so let's see what, what Peter has to teach us. So here's the first one. The first guideline that we're going to see, the first principle we're going to see is this. Struggle is not strange. Struggle is not strange. Look at verse 12. Remember, we're in chapter 4, 1 Peter 4. Look at verse 12. We're going to go through 12 through 19. Look at that. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Look what Peter says here. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal you're going through. Don't be don't think it's strange. He's saying, listen, struggle is not strange. And friend, it's not, it's not unusual. And friends, this is such an important concept to remember for each one of us as we walk through life. That we are going through life, this is kind of how it works a lot. We're going through life and everything seems to be rainbows and unicorns. You know, that's how, you know, have you have those days ever? Everything, sun shining brighter, there's two rainbows in the sky, even though it's sunny out, you know, everything is good, everything is perfect, everybody's happy, the kids were happy in the morning, your spouse was happy and brought you a cup of coffee before you asked, it's great, everything's going good, your boss is smiling, and then suddenly out of nowhere something happens, something bad happens, you know, the car breaks down. And, and, and he's not here today. This is why I'm going to say today this. 
Or you're driving down the road and a squirrel attacks the person driving your car. You have to ask Pastor Mitch about this. True story. So when you come back, say, what about a squirrel attacking somebody driving your car? So that's all I'm going to say. So you're driving down the road. It's a good day. And all of a sudden, there's a gray squirrel scratching at you, trying to get out of the door of the window, and you're flying down the highway. You know, it went from rainbows and sunshine to, to the twilight zone. Or maybe, you know, life's going good, and all of a sudden, your loved one gets sick. Or as so many of us are dealing with right now, you're dealing with aging parents. Been the common conversation I've had with people. Everything's good. All of a sudden, man, the whole world stops, and you've got to figure, help figure things out. Or everything's going good, and you walk into your job on Monday morning, and the boss says, we got to talk, and, and your job is over. Or a friend, dear friend, turns on you, and you just can't figure out what's going on. And in that moment, whether or not you understand this idea that, that struggle is not strange will make all the difference for how you navigate the time. If you understand that struggle is not strange, that struggle is common, that struggling and problems are just part of life, then what happens is it keeps the world in perspective for you. It doesn't let the problem get too big. It doesn't let it get out of, out, out of proportion. It doesn't become larger than it needs to be because you recognize it as just part of life that, hey... Yeah, the car broke, that's part of life. Uh, people get angry for no reason, that's just part of life. You understand that, and what you do as a child of God is you invite Jesus into the situation, and you look for how he wants to, you to help you navigate the situation. However, if you don't understand that struggle isn't strange, if you, if you live by the, the false belief that if I serve Jesus, everything's just going to always be all right. Then what's going to happen when something goes on, the squirrel attacks you in the car, or whatever, something much more serious, you tend to overreact. And they say things like this. You say things like this. We say things like this. Oh, God, why are you mad at me? God, why do these bad things always happen to me? You know one of those people that every time something's wrong, why me? The person who reacts and says, my life is just over. Why me? Why me? Why me? See, not grasping that struggle is just part of life tends to cause people to overreact, to make a bigger deal out of problems than they necessarily need to be. And often then, because the, the, the problem gets so big that it's overwhelming, we don't even then invite Jesus into it because we're paralyzed by the situation. But Peter here helps us. He simply tells us to not be surprised by difficulty. He says, because it's just part of life. So having this understanding as part of your worldview, as the undergirding values and ideas that you frame your life around or build your life upon, having this understanding guards us from overreacting. Um, and I would say this, and failing to look for God in the moment. Because we think if everything's supposed to be perfect, then it's not perfect. Somehow God's not in the moment. Because we can't somehow fathom how God could be in the middle of this big mess. Well, Peter's trying to say he can be in the middle of this big mess, and he is in the big, middle of this big mess. He says your life is suffering's not strange. God's with you. God's carrying you. But guess what? Life is filled with struggle. Okay? And that leads us to the next idea 
that Peter says. And its second idea is this. We can choose to rejoice in difficulty. We can choose to rejoice in struggle. Look at verse 13. But to the degree degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Keep on rejoicing. He's saying, yes, who's he writing to? People in difficulty. What's he writing about here? People walking through difficulty. So he says, keep on rejoicing. Yes, keep on rejoicing in difficulty. Now the question has to then arise, how? How do you rejoice in difficulty? It's by recognizing that God is in the mess with you. Now, there's a process of thought that Peter is going through here, and I want to explain the process of thought, because if you'll get the process of thought, you'll go, oh, now I get what he's saying. Here's the process of thought that he's going through. Since struggle is not strange, meaning that it's part of life, the life that God has for his children, struggle is not strange for the child of God, then we know that struggle is not a sign of God's absence or displeasure. Like so many times people conclude, something goes wrong, God must be gone or God must be angry. And he's, no. Since struggle is not strange, then we know that struggle is not a sign of God's absence or displeasure so that we know as a child of God, he is actually in the mess with us. That he's in the boat that's in the storm. Right? Therefore, you can choose, you can make the choice to rejoice. Did you see that process of thought? Since the struggle is not strange, it's just part of life, then we know the struggle is not a sign of God's absence or displeasure, so then we know that God is with us in the mess. Therefore, knowing that God is with us in the mess, we can choose to rejoice. We can choose to rejoice even in difficulty because we know that if God is with us in the mess, He is therefore then allowing the mess for some reason, while we're going through it. And he's present with us in the midst. For some reason, God is saying, this is my best for you at this time. Think about something. Think about something, especially if you're going through a hard time right now. Just maybe, God is allowing some difficulty into your life right now to help you turn more fully to him and trust more completely in him And actually, the mess is his loving hand in your life getting you to go in the right direction. Have you ever thought about it like that before? Can I recognize that in in that, 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 that in that God is helping me to move in a better direction even with the mess? Even if the way he is helping me is by allowing the difficulty into my life? Friends, what a great foundational principle to have in your life. I'm going to choose to rejoice no matter what. Not about the situation, but because God is in the situation with me, I'm going to choose to rejoice no matter what goes on. Good day, rejoice. Bad day, rejoice. Not because I enjoy the bad, but because I believe that God can use the bad to help me become better. That's a foundational principle. Now, let's be honest. Be honest with yourself right now. Would your day be better, more enjoyable, regardless if it's a good day or a bad day, if you chose to rejoice instead of complain? Would your day be better 
no matter what happens, you choose to rejoice, would it be better or worse for you? And like this, would it be better or worse for the people around you? It would be infinitely better if we all, remember when you point the finger, three more pointing back, if I chose to rejoice in the midst of the mess, I'd be better, I'd feel better, I'd know God's in it with me, and the people around me and the people around you would be better. So Peter says, have as one of your foundational principles that you're going to choose to rejoice even in the mess. All right? What's the next thing that Peter points out? It's this. Aligning with Jesus doesn't make you popular. You go, oh, really? A lot of people misbelieve this. Aligning with Jesus doesn't make you popular. Look at verses 14 to 16. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Say blessed. Blessed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. He says, if you are reviled for the name of Jesus. Again, friends, this is just the truth that Peter wants us to accept. If you follow Jesus, and I mean it this way, if you really follow Jesus in such a way that it shows. You get it? If you really follow Jesus in such a way that it shows, that people around you go, hmm, you follow Jesus. You're acting different. Remember, we don't fit. You're acting different. Your worldview is different. Your value system is different. Your way you act and react and interact is different. If you really follow Jesus in such a way that it shows, then some people simply will not like you. We're part, as a church, illustration, we're part of a, of a ministry that we're super excited about, most of you know about. It's called Night to Shine. It's a ministry where people with special needs are literally treated like kings and queens for a night, right? We're kind of under, getting this thing, this great ministry. This ministry was started and is partially funded by a guy by the name of Tim Tebow. Who's ever heard of Tim Tebow? Okay, the Tim Tebow Foundation um, helps fund this and develops the whole thing. They're the ones who said we have to go virtual. Tim Tebow Foundation, you can't do it on your own. We, we work through their foundation. Tim Tebow, if you, many of you know this, but some of you don't, is a former college football star and a professional football player who has openly but respectfully and quietly, I mean, you're not, not, not trying to make a big deal out of it, lived out his Christian life. He's just lived it, not necessarily talked about it, just lived it, only talked when people ask him. So because of that, he chose to not have sexual relationships with his girlfriend, um, like Miss Universe, until after they were married. They made a very clear thing. They're Christians. We're, we're going to be abstained from sex. He chose to not, she chose to not join the party crowd his whole life. He chose what he's known for. What really caused him a problem is he used to kneel down and simply quietly pray at a football game. And for those kind of things that he did, I've never heard one person making an accusation against Tim Tebow for doing anything wrong. But for those things he did, quietly pray to himself, 
choose to abstain from sex, choose to not get involved in carousing and drunk. Um, he has been unceasingly harassed and ridiculed and criticized by the, by the media in general, by the, by the world without Jesus, I'd say this, in general, continually. I would say this, people actually do revile him simply because he's been living out his Christian faith, even though he hurts no one, he, and he helps many. They revile him simply because he's a Christian who's living out his Christian life. Friends, Peter wants us to understand that that is just the way it is in this world. For Tim and for you in your workaday world, in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, so he's saying don't be surprised or sidetracked by it. Simply living a Christian life will turn people against you. There's all kinds of reasons for it. Ultimately, underlying, ultimately, it's because the devil hates Jesus, and so he hate, and so therefore he hates any of Jesus' followers, and he will literally influence people to, to hate you because he hates them. Also, sometimes when we live out our Christian life, we don't even say a word about it. We're not criticizing somebody else. I've had this happen so many times in my life. You simply live out your Christian values, and you living out your Christian values before other people makes them feel uncomfortable about their life. So because they don't want to change their life, and you're not asking them to, they criticize you for you and your life. So they criticize other people. Regardless of why it happens, just know that Peter is right. That he's saying, if you align with Jesus, you won't be popular with some. With some. But it will give you something so much better. Being part of the family of God is so much better. Getting the, getting the love and, and affirmation of this church family is so much better. Being in a place where you belong and you find love and life is so much better. Where you work together to accomplish things that, that bless people is so much better. It gives you the, being part of the family of God gives you the assurance of an abundant life now and life eternal with God forever. That's so much better. Being part of the family of God gives you purpose in helping others come to know Jesus and then the purpose of personally being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, which is so much better than just having somebody say, I don't like you because you walk with Jesus, but you've never really done anything wrong. What we gain is so much more than what we might lose by having some people just dislike us because they dislike Jesus. I want to be in the camp that aligns with Jesus because it's so much better. What's the next principle that Peter tells us in this summary of his letter? Look at verses 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the one of the godless man and the sinner, and here's the summation we can say of that, the principle he's laying out is this, judgment is coming to everyone. Judgment is coming to everyone. This is kind of a, a sobering statement, and guess what? It's meant to be. It's meant to be sobering. Peter says judgment 
is beginning, he says here, with the household of God. And he says, an interesting statement, he says, and it's with difficulty that the righteous are saved, showing that those in Christ will also face judgment. It's difficult. He says that judgment is also coming to those who reject the gospel and are, are intentionally godless without God. So judgment is coming to everyone, he says. So how should this affect us? Remember, that's what Peter's trying to do here. He's trying to affect how we see the world and how we live out our lives with the worldview he's kind of trying to create here. So how should it affect us? Well, first of all, if you're a Christian, and we make no assumptions about that, but if you're a Christian, it should affect the Christian by making us, I think, two things, grateful and diligent. Grateful and diligent. Grateful Because any judgment we face after having our sins forgiven in Jesus and after being spiritually reborn is not a judgment dealing with our salvation. Romans 8.1 clearly says, "There there there, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christians are forgiven and have been judged already. Their sins are forgiven on the cross as we've been united with Christ. So Christian salvation is not in jeopardy at judgment. And for that, we are all grateful, right? So for the Christian, knowing that judgment is coming isn't about salvation. Rather, Scripture says, it's about reward and loss. And I want us to see what the Apostle Paul, not Peter here, but the Apostle Paul has to say about that. Flipping your Bibles a few books earlier than Peter here. And flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And he writes about this idea of, of it not being about law, about, about being about um, salvation, but about reward and loss. 1 Corinthians here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, I'm tongue-tied a lot today. 1 Corinthians 3. 10 through 15. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, this is Paul writing, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with silver, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. He's writing to Christians here. For the Christian, our work, Paul says, and Peter was referring to, our work will be judged. Paul says some will be rewarded and some will suffer loss, but they will be saved. And so there's reward and loss, so that's why we work diligently, but we'll be saved. We're secure, so we rejoice. This is why for Christians, knowing that judgment is coming should cause us to be diligent To spend our energy and our resources in life on things that are eternal, gold and silver. That's what he's referring to. The things that last, not on temporal things that we burned up in the end when they're judged by God. 
So for Christians, coming judgment is about gratefulness. I'm grateful that it's, it's my salvation is, is secure in Jesus as long as I walk with him. And I'm, and I'm going to be diligent because my work's going to be examined or judged by, by the Lord himself. So I'm, I'm grateful and I'm diligent. But what about for those who aren't Christians, who don't know Jesus yet? Well, Peter is drawing a comparison here. That's what he's, he's doing here in First in Peter. He's drawing a comparison. He goes, if it's tough for those who know God, just think of what it's like for those who don't. He's drawing a comparison here where he says that since it is difficult for Christians to be saved because we're only saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, he says they're the gospel, saved through the gospel, then those without Jesus, he's saying, are in a lot of trouble. And for the non-Christian, the one who's not come to know Jesus, not about joining churches, the one who's not come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord and had their sin problem dealt with, their sins forgiven, for the non-Christian, he says the future is about judgment and the judgment is about destruction. And once again, let's look at what somebody else in the Scriptures had to say to, to explain that a little more. Let's look at the, what the Apostle John has to say about this. Turn the other direction in your Bible now from First Peter. Turn to the book of Revelation. Last book of the Bible. Almost to the end. Revelation chapter 20. See what John has to say about this. Starting in verse 11. You there? Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the, book, in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, meaning everyone is resurrected to judgment. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, which we find from the rest of Scripture can only be in the book of life by coming to faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. He said, those suffer eternal death. They suffer the lake of fire. They suffer separation from God. And friends, this should make us weep. This should cause us holy fear. I'd say this, if you're here or you're watching online and you've not come to Jesus for your salvation, for eternal life yet, then the Bible says this is the future. It's no joke. People joke about, about eternal hell. It's, it's no joke. It's all about pain and loss. And I'll tell you this, friends, I don't claim to understand it. And I don't claim to like the idea in one little bit. I just know that John here in the rest of Scripture says that it's what's ahead for those who reject the offer of new life through Jesus Christ. So friends, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you're here or watching, you haven't given your life to Jesus, I would say, do it today. Ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask him to wash away your sins and make you brand new and say, God, I want a fresh start. And from this day forward, God, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I don't want to be Lord and Savior of my life anymore. I don't want to do it my way. I want to do it your way. I need you in my life. I need my life transformed by you, God.
So we turn to Jesus today. This would seem like a really natural spot to stop. But it's not where, it's not where Peter stopped. So let's look at one final statement that Peter makes in this section. Because it's such wisdom for all of us who trust in Jesus. And it's this. And I think this is maybe the greatest statement out of the whole thing. Not that one's better than the other. You know, knowing that one drives us to, to be grateful and diligent or respond to Jesus is, is, is life-changing. But this one, I just think, is, he, it does it at the end. It's just about comfort. It's about how we can approach life. Look at verse, let me say, this isn't, I'll tell you, no, read it. This is the statement. Do right and trust God with the rest. Do right and trust God with the rest. Look at verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Just saying, listen, no matter what happens, do what is right and trust God. Trust your soul to the creator of the universe and just do what is right. What a way to live. What a, what a simple, calm way to live. You want a motto that you should put on your bumper sticker or on your mirror in your bathroom? Trust God and do right. Trust God and do what's right. Do your best to live out your Christian life because we're not none of us do it perfectly. Trust God to live in Christ and then just trust God with the rest. Just do your best and, and rest in God. Don't fret. Don't worry. Don't obsess. Just do right the best you know how and trust God with the rest. I can't think of a better way to live my life in your life, right? Trust God. Do right and trust God with the rest. Let God be the one. You do your best and let God be the one who handles all the situations and you just know I'm resting in him, I'm walking with him, I'm doing it his way. And you know what? It might not be the way I think is. He's talking about people in struggle and people in turmoil, people being, people being persecuted. He's saying, you know what? That stuff ain't going to change. But just do your best. Do what's right. And trust God through all of it. I think that's a great place to stop. So five principles for a Christian worldview on how to, how to navigate a world that's kind of gone crazy. Know that struggle is not strange. We can choose to rejoice in difficulty. Aligning with Jesus doesn't make you popular. Judgment is coming to everybody. And do right and trust God with the rest. Sounds like some divine wisdom for all of us to live by. It's the kind of stuff we should remind ourselves and remind each other regularly. And I want to end in prayer asking God to help it just become part of our very core. So would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, um, thank you for your eternal word. Thank you that 2,000 years ago, Peter could write this stuff and, and the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul could write these various things we've looked at today. And they're as relevant to us today as they were to the people they wrote them to um, thousands of years ago. That, Lord, this world only makes sense when you're in the middle of it and your wisdom is guiding us. And Lord, I know this for every one of us. Some of these things we've looked at from your word today don't really line up with how we think and how we act. 
And Lord, it's different for every one of us. But I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, that as, as your word is fresh in our minds and in our souls, that you would just make at least something of this message from Peter. Just stand out to us. Something that could be a way that we would adjust our life just a little bit. We can align ourselves more fully with you that maybe, Lord, we're looking and saying, I am following Jesus, so you know what? Going forward, thinking about judgment, I'm, gonna, I'm not worried about it because I'm in Christ, but man, I want to diligently serve the Lord with all of my abilities, all of my resources, because one day judgment's coming. It's going to be given the test. Will it stand or fall? And Lord, for some, maybe within the sound of my voice today, again, maybe in this building or watching online, what the Spirit's reminding you today or saying to you today is that He's calling you by name because you recognize and He knows as a fact that you've never really come to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. You've never really come to that point. I'm not talking about attending church. I'm talking about saying a point where you recognize that Jesus actually, in real world, died for you and He died for you to pay for your sins because there is nothing you can do about your own condition that you are bound as a human being in sin and there's nothing you can do and as hard as you try you can never be perfect you can never be do it all right and Jesus came in and he he took your place he said I'll go to the cross and I'll give my life for you because the punishment for sin is death and, and you deserve death and I deserve death and Jesus said I don't want you to die eternally spiritually so I will die in your place that we can come in our Christian boy, we can become Christians and literally be united with Jesus in Christ so that what Jesus did for us changes our whole world that we are united with him and what he did now is did it for us so you recognize today that you need Jesus as your Savior, the one to save you from sin. You need Jesus as your Lord, the one who leads you through life, your leader, maybe a better word, your leader. Something inside your soul this morning is saying, that's for me. I need Jesus. And I'm ready to say yes to the Lord. If that's you today, we're just praying. Our eyes are closed. Our heads are bowed. You say you need Jesus. I want you to do something bold. Just between you, me, and God, I promise not to call you out this morning. But I want you to do an action. I want you to say, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, I want you to raise up your hand. When I see your hand, I'm going to tell you to put it down. Okay. Okay. You can, okay. You can put them down on my left. Center. Okay. Over on my right, you can put that hand down. All right. I see it number of hands across this place. I'm going to invite all of us, those of you, those three or four that raise your hands this morning and those online who have done it, I want you to just do this. We're all going to pray. I'm going to invite us all to pray together. We're going to pray out loud. There's nothing special about the words. We're talking to God who's right here with us and we're, we're going to lead you. You're going to join us in prayer. You're going to, we're going to lead you in saying yes to Jesus. Let's all pray together this way out loud. Dear Jesus, 
thank you for your love. Thank you for calling my name. I know that I need help. I know that I'm lost. And today, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life. Forgive my sins and make me brand new. And Jesus, from today forward, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. And I'm not sure what that's all about, but I'm asking for your help. And so on this day, I ask for a restart, a brand new start, that on this day, my life is about serving you and knowing you and coming to experience your love and your goodness. So Jesus, today, I say yes to you. I welcome you into my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You prayed that prayer today. The Bible says something about it. It literally says this. It says that if you come to God, that there is more of a celebration in heaven over one person who does that, there are over 100 people, 99 who are already there. And it says the angels celebrate. So there are, that means hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of angels celebrating right now. Saying, there's a new name written down in glory. And I'm going to ask you to do something. If you, if you, asked, if you said yes to Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're from here, you've heard me say this, but I think it's so important. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, I'd say this before you watch the Packer game. You tell somebody that you know is a follower of Jesus that you said yes to Jesus today. Here's why. It's going to do a couple things. Number one, it's going to just make it, cement it in your heart. Saying you're telling somebody, I really did it. Next thing it's going to do is it's going to kind of give them permission to help you. Help you because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when you come to Jesus, you're actually becoming although you matter how old you are physically, spiritually become brand new. You're like a little baby. Little babies need help. And the way the little baby Christians get help is from other people who are just a couple steps ahead of you. Here's the deal. We're all on a journey. None of us got this thing figured out. But we're just going to help each other along the way. Some of us just walked in a little longer. We spent more time in God's word. We spent more time trying to learn about God so we can help you a little bit as we can help you learn from what we've learned. That's what it's all about. That's why the church family is so important. And so tell somebody that's a Christian because it's given them permission to help you. If you say, I don't know, I came by myself, I don't know anybody, you come talk to me after church and I'll be here to pray with people anyways and we'll have people here to pray with people after church. And so if you need for that reason or any other reason you want to pray, we're here. But tell somebody. Let's stand together, church. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. God's word, worship, people responding to the salvation. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Eternal work happening, setting out hundreds of, of shoeboxes across the globe. Pray the great blessing we always so often end with. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.